This is Hope FM. Now, we've all had our challenges. You don't need me to tell you that over these uh, these past couple of years, uh, we have all been very challenged by, by COVID. But one man who has certainly been challenged and has not been twiddling his thumbs is the Director of Public Health for Dorset, Sam Crow, And he joins me now. Good morning to you, Sam. Good morning, Blair. Well, Sam, I mean, obviously you've heard me just saying there that the last two years has been challenge, challenges for us all, but... Along comes COVID out of left field. I mean, it, it's, it must have been hugely challenging for you and your team in public health. Yeah, it's been quite a, a couple of years, really. And I was thinking this morning before coming on the radio about that journey that we've been on. Um, probably a lot of people in January were only just starting to hear about the virus when the first reports were coming out of Wuhan. And at the time, there was a risk that it would be underestimated, um, and it's since proven to be much, much more than just a nasty cold or dose of flu. But um, we're in a different place now, um, and I am quite hopeful that we are starting to turn the curve, even though we've got high infection rates at the moment. There's, there's many reasons why I think we should be hopeful, uh, and certainly we're starting to see, I think, the end in sight. Um, happy to sort of go into that in more detail but it's been an extraordinary couple of years we've all learnt a lot about uh, ourselves how have we done sorry how how have we done in Dorset I mean obviously one of the very encouraging things is the uh, the number of volunteers that have come forward to help in the in the various vaccination centres and so on but as a county you know uh, you know in relation to the the national scene have we done reasonably well in Dorset I think it's all about the timing of the different waves, really. So in the first part of the pandemic, uh, we did relatively well. We managed to escape the worst of the first wave, which was very much affecting London and the southeast. Um, We saw extraordinary efforts, didn't we, of people pulling together. And uh, I, I think... You know, I just pay testament to all of the efforts that people have made because that really did make a difference. In the last wave, I think what we've seen in Dorset and the BCP council areas is perhaps a bit more infection just because we didn't have as much immunity from previous infections in our population. And it's been harder, hasn't it, to, to keep going. I think um, everyone's got fed up with the mm. restrictions on their lives um, and it, it's just been hard to keep going. So I think our infection levels now are you know, very similar to many, many other parts of the country. Um, what we're seeing at the moment is a much, much more transmissible virus. And um, particularly when the schools went back in September, October, we had much, much higher levels of infection in the community than we saw in the previous year. So as the pandemic's changed because of the different strains of the virus, we've had to change the way that we've dealt with it. Um, but I'm, I am hopeful, as I said. I think we're in a, a better place and the vaccines have really made a, a huge difference to that. I suppose one of the difficulties with the whole COVID story is we've not been there before. It's, it's a road less travelled as far as we're all concerned. And I guess that over the past two years we've been, and particularly those of you who are, who are engaged in public health, it's been a real steep learning curve, hasn't it? It has. Um, although if you didn't work in public health, you may not be aware that we had a near miss with SARS-1. So uh, probably in the early 2000s, there was a a similar severe acute respiratory virus that started to emerge. The big difference between this strain and what was happening in the early 2000s was that you couldn't really spread the virus 
before you showed signs of symptoms. So it was quite easy to spot people. I don't know if you remember, but for a while there was temperature monitoring at airports around the world. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. in the early two thousands. That was that was the first SARS epidemic, and fortunately it didn't turn into a pandemic. But this version of the virus, unfortunately, was very, very transmissible before um, you show signs of, of, of symptoms and infection. And that means that it can spread very, very easily because you're not aware that you're spreading it. Mm. So it has been really challenging. And of course, for lots of us in local public health teams, we wouldn't be involved in health protection normally. That was uh, the job of Public Health England. So we, we were on a very, very steep learning curve. Mm. And um, we're still on that curve to some extent. Now, of course, you said earlier on that we're, we're all getting a wee bit fed up. We were certainly getting fed up of of lockdowns and so on. Although I have to say that on the more positive front, coming into the studio in the early morning, there wasn't any traffic, Sam. So, And when I went to the supermarkets, there wasn't hardly anybody there in the morning. But, but obviously that was in the early days of, of lockdown. But of course, as things have gone on, people have got tireder and so on. And of course, now we're a lot of us are doing lateral flow tests. In terms of, of, of the where we are right now, Sam, with Omicron and so on, uh, uh, and the lateral flow testing, how often do you, should we be testing? Well, the general rule of thumb is to test before you go and mix either with other people or if you're going to visit a loved one, for example, either in a care home or a hospital, if you're going into any kind of high-risk setting, you should really use those tests to try to make sure that you're not infectious. Um, Previous advice was to test a couple of times a week, but I think increasingly, particularly while we're in this wave of infection, if you're having to go out and you're having to work and mix with other people, take a lateral flow test. So we're moving much more to a situation where we're leaning on those tests quite heavily and, and perhaps be testing every day in many instances. Mm-hmm. Well, I must say, I mean, I'm doing it myself, you know, every day, but I'm just talking to other people around when because when people come to the studio, we advise them, you know, to take the test and so on. But I can see them look on their faces and think, oh, you know. Um, but of course, it, it's a question about protecting ourselves and, of course, the people that we're going to be coming into contact with what about the supply of the test because i know some people have been struggling at that level i mean are we are we beginning to get a flow of them readily available i think things have improved in the last week but there's no doubt that over the christmas period and early january there were definitely uh, issues with delivery but partly that's because of the number of people who are off work isolating with the virus so i know that the royal mail found it very difficult to fulfill their delivery slots but the flow is improving uh i know that we're getting much uh, or many more fewer requests now from organizations who say that their employees can't access the tests from pharmacies so you should be able to get them from either your local community pharmacy or use the online portal that does seem to be uh, back up and running now so tell us a wee bit about uh, omicron i mean obviously we, we the good news about that is that the people who are fully vaccinated don't appear to be getting seriously my, my own son has had had the virus twice actually but he was telling me that in the in the second uh, round with with um, i don't know whether he even had omicron or not but he certainly felt a lot a lot um i don't don't know whether better is the right term but he wasn't as ill as he felt when he had it first time round. is that generally par for the course i think what we're seeing at the moment um is probably uh, less impact on the number of people who will develop 
serious disease. And of the people who are currently in hospital, it does seem as if there are fewer people who need support with things like oxygen. That was the really scary aspect of some of the first two waves, was the number of people who were really struggling to breathe at times and needed oxygen support. It put a real strain on the hospital system locally. But that doesn't seem to be the case this time. So although there are people who do need hospital care, um, it doesn't appear that there are as many people who have those serious problems with their, their lungs, which is which is good news. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is an impossible question. The next one, Sam, where is it all going to end? I mean, is it your yes. view? Is, is it your view that that to some measure? I, mean, I know this is an impossible question, but to some measure, are we going to be having to deal with COVID? Uh, bit like we have to deal with the flu in the sense is it's always going to be there in one form or another and we may not be at any sort of critical stages that, that we've seen but nevertheless it's not going to go away anytime soon i mean are, are you more optimistic than that well i think we'll probably always have it uh it's from a family of viruses called coronaviruses and there is evidence of other coronaviruses that have moved from animals into the human population Uh, And as they adapt to being among us, the virus will change and it will probably become more transmissible, but but less serious. Um, It will be a seasonal virus, there's no doubt about it. If you look at the infection rates, you can see a very clear link with uh, the winter season. So I've no doubt that when we reach the spring, I think we'll see the rates start. I think the wave will pass. Um, I think we could have a relatively normal summer. But I think as we go back into the autumn, undoubtedly um, there will be coronavirus around in the population again. The big difference by the autumn, I think, will be the development of new vaccines. So what we had to do in the early days was develop vaccines very, very quickly. Um, But as we understand more about the different strains of the virus and manufacturers have more time to develop a longer-lasting vaccine, I think you'll see uh, more effective vaccines that offer longer-term protection. So this sort of phase that we've been in, where we're trying to vaccinate people with one dose, two dose, three doses, I think we'll move past that when we have newer vaccines. Possibly a single autumn dose, and that would provide enough protection against the various strains to see us through the winter. Mm-hmm. And of course, I mean, we we hear talk about like herd immunity and so on. What, what does that actually mean? What what would be the impact if we achieve herd immunity? Well, it's uh, a somewhat disputed term, isn't it? And it was obviously uh, quite a loaded term early on in the pandemic as we were discussing what the national strategy was. But in theoretical terms, it just means that when we reach the proportion of the population who have enough of an immune response against coronavirus and the virus finds it very difficult to spread. So once you've got perhaps 85, 90% of the people either vaccinated or having had immunity from previous infection, you don't get those very sharp um, sort of takeoffs, if you like, of, of infection being spread very, very quickly from one person to another. But of course, what's taken us by surprise with this pandemic is the way that the virus has changed. And of course, one of the things about Omicron is that even if you've had infection with the Delta strain, you can still get infected with the Omicron strain. So when the virus changes and it's very different genetically, uh, it can still transmit and be spread. So we're not yet at the end of that in terms of seeing the, the way that the virus can spread through the population. 
but the vaccines are helping there's no doubt about it um and as i say once we get better vaccines with a bit more time uh, taken to develop them then hopefully we'll see a better impact on transmission. I mean, one thing, of course, that that we should note is there are a number of people who, for a number of different reasons, either haven't had the vaccination uh, or or else, if they have had even one or two doses, have had a a pretty negative response to it. Uh, I I guess it's quite difficult, isn't it, you know, know, because... the way we treat each other with, with, with respect and so on and, and so on. Well, talking, if you were talking to somebody right now, no doubt you are, who perhaps for whatever reason haven't had the vaccination, Sam, what, what, what you, would you be saying to them? Well, I think my first question would be to try to explore the reasons why they haven't felt that they uh, wanted to come forward and have it. There's lots of different reasons that people may be hesitant to have the vaccination so I think the first thing is uh, it's important to understand, um, you know, what might be that person's concern. And then I think the most important thing is just to have an honest conversation about that. In some cases, it will be uh, a lack of information or perhaps a misunderstanding about the seriousness of side effects or, or how rare those more serious side effects may be. But there might be other very, you know, sort of... Um, very, very well-meaning and closely held beliefs that are preventing someone from being totally confident in the vaccine. So I think the first step is to understand what's going on and just to have a conversation. One of the things that I've been really impressed by is the willingness of the people working and supporting the vaccination effort just to sit down with people and just to have a conversation. Um, I don't believe that forcing people to have the vaccination is the right way. I think that this has to be informed consent. It has to be a conversation where people fully understand the benefits of vaccination. And the first step to that is understanding what people's concerns are and then spending time with them talking around that. But ultimately, you shouldn't force people to do things. You know, it has to be a choice. And I'd hope that most people would see that the science is pretty overwhelming. Um, You know, we are not seeing the levels of hospitalisation that we saw in previous waves and that's a testament to the number of people that have had those three doses in our population. Obviously normally public health is engaged in in preventative work uh, uh, and so on and I know you've got an exciting new campaign which has just come online called Lights On. Tell us something about it. Thanks Blair, yes. Um, So we're running a campaign called Light On which is for Uh, everyone in Dorset really uh, encouraging men in particular to talk more openly about mental health we see uh, time and time again that three out of four suicides in this country are by men and many of them under the age of 45 so part of this campaign is targeting uh, that part of our population that may find it uh, difficult to talk about things at times And so the campaign is very much about encouraging people to take that first step of perhaps opening up, uh, talking to a friend, starting to share what might be going on, recognising that sometimes, you know, that's the first step to, you know, recovery and avoiding some of the more serious harm that can emerge from from poor mental health and particularly being isolated and feeling like you don't have anyone to to reach out to. So we feel it's a really important campaign. it's the leading cause of death in men under the age of 45. But I'd also say that you know, it's not just about 
suicide and death by suicide, if you think about the people that actually go on and uh, die by suicide, that's just the tip of the iceberg, isn't it? Behind that, there are lots and lots of people who struggle on a daily basis. So uh, we feel it's an important time to be talking about this issue and, and offering a chance for people to, to connect with organisations that can help. Um, so that's what the campaign's all about. And um, if you visit lightonmh.uk, you'll find all of the details on how to find some support locally and also how you can support other people too. I mean, it's interesting how the people have been responding. I mean, there was a time, wasn't there, when even though one in four, they say, was in, impacted in some way uh, with ne- uh, mental health challenges, that, that we very seldom, people find it very difficult to talk about because there was a huge stigma. It, it does seem to me uh, that, that there's, a, there's a lot more openness for people to come forward and even to seek help. Is that your experience from a public health perspective? I think there's no doubt things have changed. I mean, when when I look back over my life, I think things have uh, changed enormously and there's a lot more uh, help and support out out there. But I think you've also got to remember that sometimes if you're in that situation yourself, it may not seem like that. So taking that first step sometimes to open up and to to share what might be going on uh, can still be difficult, I think, for individuals. Um, We mustn't necessarily assume that just because there's a lot more in the media about mental health and there are a lot more positive role models about people who are opening up that's not necessarily the case for everyone so i think we've still got some way to go but there's no doubt that things have have really really changed compared with say even 20 years ago and of course because of all the challenges of 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 the last two years with with coronavirus loneliness and isolation and all of these things have been sharply uh Increase and I guess so many people, you know, have had to isolate and so on, and and that must have had a very detrimental effect on the whole population, not not just of course in Dorset, but but across across the country, in fact, across the nations of the world. Sam, so what are you hoping to do with with this cam? What what are the building blocks of light on? Well, I think it's uh, as I said, the first step is encouraging, particularly men to talk a bit more openly about their mental health. Uh, One of the things that the campaign is trying to do is to help people who want to understand how best to support other people uh, take those first steps to understand, um, you know, what can you do? You could check in on someone that you maybe haven't heard from in a while, reach out to maybe a, a member of your family or a friend that you think is uh, perhaps not quite as uh, bright or perhaps not you know, not appearing as if they, they are themselves. Um, just take that first step, reach out and ask how they are. So there's lots of uh, simple tips on the website. There's lots of organisations that will provide free support uh, and even spend some time listening if you feel that you, you're struggling yourself and you want to contact those organisations. But also, um, we feel it's very important to... Uh, help people understand how they can help others. So a lot of the campaign is simple advice, simple tips to understand uh, more about mental health, more about how you can understand or or help people who may be struggling, Um, and not to be worried about talking about it. I think that's the most important thing, isn't it? I mean, if if people go to that website, and uh, you know, what, what, what will they find on there, Sam? 
Well, they find uh, a range of information about local groups. Um, so you can contact either via social media or uh, visit the websites of a number of organisations that are supporting uh, us in Dorset to run the campaign. You'll find simple tips about how to improve your own mental health and to stay well out. But I would encourage people to have a look at the website, have a look at the social media channels that are on there, look at the campaign, and uh, if you want to get involved, there's plenty of opportunities to, to do so. Uh, there's contact numbers, there's a range of ways that you can contact the campaign. If you do want to get involved, there's a number of events that we're running as well. Um, so have a look at the website. There's a huge range of material on there. And, so so um, just give us the address. A, just give us the ag- address again of that of the website, Sam. No problem. So it's www.lightonmh.uk. One thing I, sh- I should ask you, I mean, obviously you've mentioned men particularly. I've heard that quite a lot of young people in particular have been have been impacted in one way or another. So in terms of demographic and, and age group, have you any, any evidence that would support the fact that maybe young people are being more adversely affected or, or not? I think it's always difficult to, to tell. Um, certainly the surveillance data that's collected about suicide and attempts is not really timely enough to know what's happening yet. Um, I think this is an issue that we're going to find more and more about as we come out of the pandemic and we return to more normal life, I think. Um, One of the ways that we're very, very active as a public health team is in supporting our schools to focus on getting emotional health and well-being right um, in early years. So although the Light On campaign is aimed at people who may be struggling now, another really important part of good mental health is building the skills and the resilience from a very early age and building those good habits that that hopefully act as a a preventive mechanism to stop people uh, perhaps struggling with their mental health as they they, they grow up and and get older. So I think it will take a bit of time for the the true picture to emerge. Sam, thank you so much for for joining us on the air today. And just finally, before I let you go, what's the primary message that you want to give us all here in Dorset as we go forward and and hopefully get on top of this thing which has been challenging us all over such a long time? Yeah, I I think um, moving past coronavirus, we we just have to be very thankful, I think, and I think what, one of the things I've appreciated is the extraordinary power of people, which was partly why I chose the second track. I, I love the title up with people. I think it says it all, really. Um, I think that what's made a difference, they're, they're not the huge uh, strategic things that we've done to combat the pandemic. It's, it's basically people pulling together, supporting each other, and the response that we saw from some of the community organisations was incredible and you know we shouldn't underestimate the power of people I, I just think we need to be kind to ourselves and kind to others as we recover from this it's going to be some time i think but it's amazing how quickly people can move on and uh, and recover from from very very difficult times so i'd like to end with that thought really the the power of people is extraordinary this is hope fm